to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? Actually, I'm not too good, Chris. You you pointed out to me a flaw in my dress. I, that's I right. I couldn't believe it. I know. Do you want to tell quote, people what to happened? To quote my friend in Germany, unbelievable. 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 I still hope that we have some German listeners from that experience. I hope there will be some German listeners. But this morning I came into your office and you said, oh, your pen leaked. I said, what? What are you you talking about? Well, your your shirt. And so, of course, I didn't. Who looks? I, you know, it's in my closet. It's fair game. Put on my shirt. What do I do? I put on a shirt that had blue ink all over it. Well, you also get up at like 3.30 in the morning. So anything is possible with you with grabbing clothes and not. Yeah, I mean, you're probably it's probably pitch black in your room. It, it, it is true. You know what I have to do? Thank God for the Apple iPhone with flashlight because my wife is asleep. Who, You know, I don't want to wake her up. So I turn on my flashlight and I, <laughs> I use it in the bedroom. Yeah, that's to get dressed because so, it points away from her, obviously. So I'm able to see stuff. So I do pick out my clothes using a little flashlight. I envision I envision you texting me at 4.30 in the morning with your flashlight on, looking for the shirt you're going to wear with the pen stain on the pocket. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. and I, we get up early and we start, people don't realize this, but you and I start chatting sometimes really early in the morning. I'm sending you news items as I find them. You know, in the Maybe morning. Maybe we prepare more than we think we prepare for this podcast. Th- well, if that's preparing... Hey, we're in trouble. <laughs> I just think that's no. We do. We what catches our eye? I think our uh, so we we text back and forth to see to share the news items of the day. And Chris, the news items that we're going to use, we had so many. Laura sent us some. I know you sent me some. I sent you some. But uh, the news items we have are. It's it's it is unbelievable. I know there's a lot going on. In fact, before we get started, I just want to let our listeners know that if you are tuning in the Jew and Gentile podcast, if you're new to the Jew and Gentile podcast, hello. Uh, Welcome. Uh, Steve Herzig is our resident uh, Jewish sage. Um, I might confuse you if you're watching on um, online and you see my face. Give a profile behind the man. That's right. My my spirit animal, Theodore Herzl. Uh, behind me. Uh, the beard might confuse you. It's just a hipster beard, but I'm the Gentile with a big Jewish heart. Sometimes Steve says a Jewish kepi no on question. top of my head. So um, anyway, uh, welcome. I'm glad that you could be with us. Uh, the podcast is actually sponsored by FOI Equip, which is your opportunity. If you've never done this before, I hope that you do. Um, learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. That way you can gain more of an understanding of who Jesus is. I mean, Steve, Jesus was Jewish. I guess the secret's out. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. He, he didn't go to church. He, he didn't celebrate Easter. He didn't celebrate Christmas. That would be awkward. He, he went to, to synagogue. He went to Hebrew school. He, he celebrated the Feast of Israel. Uh, he was Jewish through and through. And so I believe that when you study the Bible from a Jewish perspective, uh, you actually deepen your relationship with the the Jewish king, with the Jewish Messiah. No question about it. And and Chris, one of the ways uh they can get our listeners can get involved, we're offering a cup, a mug, a mug on a mug. A mug on a mug. I've wanted this since March of 2022, and you were the one to say no, you gotta hold off. We only have one listener. Uh mm-hmm. so let's not go to all the trouble of getting cups. 
and you got to wait for the time. And then your wife, who's in marketing, we had to wait till they got a hold of it, and we went through pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah, the stuff Steve, you got well, to go. You with. have to understand. I just wanted a mug I on know. a mug. See, that's the thing is that Steve thinks things you say it and it appears. That's right? right. But see, we all also know. It takes time. It does. And, it but does. It, it's here. It, it is here. Once it came, it came. In fact, I can tell you. We actually I, got them, and then we said, well, we have to make sure they get put online and put in inventory. You're going, I'm pushing these things now. That's what you did. Well, I just, uh, five of them just went out the door yesterday. Uh, I'm happy about that. And uh, one of our number one fan, she might have been either the first listener or the second listener, Patty Larson. She's coming in next week with 12 of them. She's giving them as a Christmas gift. She's amazing. What, the Jew and Gentile podcast, great Christmas gifts. She's one of our original fans, Patty she Larson. Is. She is. You know, Steve, I also got a text uh, a couple of days ago from a 205 area code, and I love these people. It's a husband-wife duo, and they're in their young— Are they sleep? Are they going to bed uh, listening to us? I don't think they do. <laughs> I think they're wide awake. Thank God. Well, Thank God. Um, uh, they're in their young 20s, and, uh, and um, they— listen to the podcast and they let us know that they are getting a mug on a mug. And I said, please take a picture of your mugs with our mugs. And so they said they would do that. They're a fantastic couple. I've been texting with them on our text line, Steve, 424-444-1948. And in light of the text line too, do you remember last week, Steve, we asked people to text us if they support Israel and the Jewish people during this time, let us know. And I've been getting text all week long from people texting in saying, we support Israel. We support Israel. Uh, we love the Jewish people. They show us wearing their shirts or their flags of Israeli flags that are flying outside their home. Uh, so again, if you're out there um, and you support Israel and the Jewish people during this time, text us at 424-444-1948 and let well, us know. Well, and, well, tell us, what what does a person have to do to get this cup? Yeah, so to get my mug. Yeah, to get your mug on a mug uh, from the Friends of Israel or from the Jew and Gentile podcast as well. Uh, you just have to go to gofoi.org forward slash mug. Now, what will happen is that link will take you to a donation page. That's right. We're not just selling these. They're donation pieces. It's actually, actually it's a we're, gift. Actually, we're, that's right. It is a gift. We're only asking a minimum of $10 because we don't want to lose twice the yep. cup and the shipping because right. we're supplying both. So. At, at least if we lose, we, I, which is fine, if they if give us a minimum of $10, we're happy to ship it to them wherever they are, uh, but we don't want to get killed. <laughs> we don't want to get killed, but and uh, but we do want to say that when you give, we hope that maybe you give more than $10, because here's the reason why. When you give and you get your mug on a mug and you take a picture of your mug on a mug and send it to us, which we want you to do, um, but when you get your mug and you give, uh, what you're giving to is more than just the Jew and Gentile podcast. You're actually giving to FOI Equip, which which is an umbrella of all of our equipping ministries here at Friends of Israel. This includes our online classes. This includes engaging with the Jewish community face-to-face -face through encounter. This includes our volunteers who are ministering all around the world and connecting with the Jewish community. This includes our interns who are engaging with the Jewish community and getting trained in Jewish ministry. And, and bridges. 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 Oh, bridges. Oh, bridges. Is, bridges. bridges is a very important uh, component of uh, the um, equip that we're doing. Uh, Bridges is a nine-week uh, opportunity to touch uh, and connect with people all around the world, Chris. There's lots of different people 
uh, connecting on bridges. We have two outstanding uh, teachers. Bruce Scott is the one who has put most of the material together. Cameron uh, is, is assisting him. And uh, we have people who meet with each other. They have assignments, uh, which in these days of the war, Chris, standing with Israel is actually part of the bridges routine. Yep, 100%. So, uh, people who are inclined to do that anyway, they're taking bridges, they're connecting in the Jewish community. It's a it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and after a person graduates from bridges, uh, they have often come to you. We've had now, we're almost two years into bridges. We have almost 200 graduates. And we have people who have gone from bridges and they're now in Tikva. They're what is Tikva? Tikva is our volunteer network, and they are volunteering in the Jewish community. In fact, we had some local Tikva members here in the South Jersey area who went out to show solidarity with the Jewish people, and they went and uh, represented the Friends of Israel, promoted the Friends of Israel, along with some of our uh, colleagues here, uh, and they went and stood in solidarity. And some of them even wore their, their shirts. Their Tikva team Tell shirts. us what's on the back the, of the shirt. The Tikva chutzpah. Yeah, the, the, the Tikva team shirt says, uh, I've got some serious chutzpah. I dare you to ask. Ask me why. And, and people so, are asking. They're asking questions, and that's what it's all about. So when you buy, when you give to get your mug, I want to encourage you, $10 is the minimum. Thank you. But if God has blessed you and you're able to give more to help grow our equipping efforts, then please go to gofoi.org forward slash mug and get your mug on a mug. Hey, Steve, as we're talking right now, someone's watching us from the 856 area code. His name's Eric, and he says, again, I stand with Israel and got my mug. Uh, thank, thank you, Eric. Eric. We thank love it. Thank you, Eric. Love oh, it. Yeah, yeah, that's really an encouragement. Um, so, Steve, uh, there's a lot going on that we need to talk about. First, let me just say this, too, a heads up. Steve and I started doing some uh, smaller podcasts that we're going to be airing throughout the uh, coming weeks as we get more and more guests. Um, so be on the lookout for them. They're smaller. Normally our podcasts are about an hour long um, of just you and me yapping for an hour. Uh, but uh, these are smaller and they involve interviews. And so we just had an interview with an Israeli. In fact, she was in our, our podcast room. So we're going to air that later this week. That will be coming out. Um, but we'll have more um, coming as well um, in the future. So if you notice, oh, my goodness, why why are these popping up here and there on your podcast feed? We're getting more. That's because we decided to do a special uh, as the Is uh, Israel-Hamas war is going on. It's called our special. Is Steve, do you remember what you titled it? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Steve is the best. He writes out this perfect description of what our smaller podcast behind is. Behind the scenes? No, was no, no. it behind the no, scenes? No, no. It was even better. Oh, <laughs> you, see, I forgot. It's behind the headlines. Oh, behind the headlines. That's right. That's right. So Steve did that was, you know, that was at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Steve is so good. We, we were just wrapping up our, uh, um, proclaim conferences and, uh, the title of the proclaim conference is, uh, the world on edge. And Steve kept calling it living on the edge. We're so. li aren't we living on the edge? I like that better, but I, you know, I, I don't have the pull for anything. So what, what you still got it out there. You were saying it from the stage. You're like, we're living on the edge people. And they're like, it's world on edge. <laughs> well, we're living on the edge. We're so, Hey, just really quick behind the headlines behind the is headlines. going to be something we do, uh, in an informal way. We're, we're not CNN. We're not Fox news. Uh, but what we are is uh, people, you and I are trying to find people who can give us human interest stories. 
and and not just to make people feel to up, get their emotions. This is to inform people. The first guest we had on, an Israeli, actually gave us information about what was happening on the ground on October seventh and how people were reacting. And we want to we just want to share those things. So it's informal. Uh, but it's a little more, it's it's not as goofy as you and I are uh, now. No, it's actually a little more serious. And so you'll notice even the music when it come in is a little That's more right. serious. But, right. but if you notice, oh, I get two uh, Jew and Gentiles during the week, or maybe even sometimes three, uh, you're welcome. A little <laughs> gift to you. Or maybe you're going, uh, a little too much now. Let's turn these guys off. <laughs> Unsubscribe. <laughs> too too, too <laughs> much. Exactly. All right. So, Steve, um, we're going to do a little uh, did you know segment. We can. You, yeah, that's right. You yeah. wanted to highlight something. This does not come from our good friend, Emily Snow. No, we who already we've never met before. Actually, right. No, this is not coming from Emily. We I thought we permanently put Emily Stone to bed. That is her book. Did you know? But we're using that. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified. Yes. That. <laughs> yes. That, that is a uh, great title for the the segue that we have. And now I'm using the little encyclopedia of Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 this is by Matthew Klickstein. Uh, and 101 people, places, things, and foods. Can't can't forget foods. I'm already in. Every Jew should know. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. you know? The, every Jew should know. There you go. All right. So as I was going through the book, Chris, and thinking about the war that's happening and about uh, the the anti-Semitism that is out there. Uh, one of the uh, 101 places and people and foods that this highlights is called the Museum of Tolerance. I've been by, I haven't attended, I haven't gone into the museum. I passed it by when I've been in LA. It was established in 1993 as an educational branch of Los Angeles-based Simon Wiesenthal Center. Uh, so far, it's received over 5 million visitors. And Chris, I'm adding, they need more. Mm-hmm. They need a lot more. Because what it does is explores the worldwide anti-Semitism, engages patrons, including many middle and high school students, in investigations of other global atrocities, as well as acts of everyday bullying. So this is a museum established by Jewish people to talk about anti-Semitism and bullying. Uh, and in light of what is happening, Chris, this is the kind of thing more people should be going to. A hundred percent. You know, it's really sad because uh, America is a, it's a pretty tolerant country. Um, most people don't understand that when you go to the Middle East or you go to uh, other countries outside of America, there is a lot of racism still. But it's amazing that as this war is going on between Israel and Hamas, there is incredible amounts of anti-Semitism right in our country. Um, And it's funny because we hear people screaming all the time against uh, racism, especially from these higher education uh, Ivory League schools and universities and college campuses, you know, uh, to fight against racism. And it seems like the racism that uh, they are against is coming from that same campus against the Jewish people, but nobody said bupkis, nothing. Nothing, nothing. You know, a great example of uh, low-key but interesting uh, anti-West is when you go to Israel 
and you simply want to go and view the the Dome of the Rock. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. There's it's it's everybody takes a picture of it. So hey, let's visit the Dome of the Rock. And before we do, let's go to the Western Wall. So you walk, uh, you walk to the Western Wall. No problem. There's no nobody nobody asking for a ticket. Nobody asking for identification. You do have to go through to make sure that you're. Uh, you've gone through metal detectors. But once you do that, it's free for it. They don't say, are you Jewish? Are you Gentile? They don't ask if, they don't ask anything. You've been there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now I want to go to the Dome of the Rock. Yep. That's a different story. You're in the same country, right? You're yep. still in Jerusalem. I mean, you're just a stone's throw away from it. You're, the you're, Western you're, Wall, Dome of the Rock. Th- there it is. So, same vicinity. Say, so you're in the uh, capital city of Israel, Jerusalem. You're in Israel. Nobody's bothering you at the Western Wall. Hey, you with your friend or or your spouse, and you say, "Hey, let's go up. I want to see that. What What do you have to do to see that? Well, first of all, you have to hope it's open. Yep. Oh, these are are the Israelis closing? No, the Israelis aren't closing it. It should be open, but it's not the Israelis' decision. Nope. Is it, Chris? No. The, the whole the whole Temple Mount is controlled by the Waqf, which is uh actually it's a Jordanian. Um, holy site for Muslims. Wait type a minute, of, but, but but we're in Israel. We're right. in Jerusalem. How could this be controlled by somebody else? Yeah, the Jordanians have given it control, uh, or it was given control by to the who? Jor- by Israel. Israel made it happen. Israel says not just of the Dome of the Rock. If you're Catholic and there's a Catholic site, if you're Protestant. Well, Protestant, which which one? They're all different different ones. Uh, if you're Greek Orthodox, every church, every holy site is controlled. Israel says, "You worry about it. We'll we're, we'll protect you. Our military. You're under the auspices of Israel, but your holy people, your group controls it." So, Chris, people want to go to the Dome of the Rock are not entitled to go and. They search you yep. if you go up there. What are, are they looking for bombs like they are when you go to the Western Wall? You got to go through a metal detector? No, they don't care if you have a bomb. No. They're looking for Bibles. That's right. They want to make sure you don't have a Bible or a Torah or something uh, like that. They're looking for a Bible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, do they want to pray? No, they want to take it away from you. Mm-hmm. No Bibles on the uh, Temple Mount. Yep. And they, of course, wouldn't call it the Temple Mount. Okay. So then, okay. So take my Bible. Okay, I'll come back and get it. So now I'm walking around and I'm thinking, oh, I see the the Dome of the Rock there. But, you know, Lord, thank you for getting me to Israel. And I'm standing right on the, uh, the acreage that Jesus stood on. This is what Herod did to expand it. He put four big walls to retain all the dirt in order to expand to a hundred and some acres. And here I am. I just want to pause and thank you. <laughs> and so I'll bow my head and now I got security coming. Yep. They whack you. They hey, who is doing this, yep. Chris? That's the WAF. They're the ones who it's the ones who control the and manage the Temple Mount. If they see you praying, closing your eyes, you gotta get out of here. No, you're not allowed to stop and pray. And even if you hold your wife's hand. On the, on the Temple Mount, and you're walking, they say, you can't hold hands, you can't do any of that stuff. And these are the same people who want to negotiate and say, we recognize Israel. Yeah. Now, just think about this. Uh, and you can't, you haven't even talked about the real thing. 
Can you go into the Dome of the Rock? <laughs> I've actually. Have you gotten a chance I've, to get in, in the in the years? I think I've, my first time was two thousand four. We I've uh, never been inside. It's it's all. See, I went in the early eighties and in the nineties, and when it when it was open, and you you could do it. Uh, it's just so interesting to me. I wanted to emphasize in a hopefully uh, low key way. Just how <laughs> you low key. It's just how difficult it is to be living in the midst of that neighborhood. And you know, I used to have a message where I put, well, it's the opposite of tolerance. Opposite of tolerance. I used to have a a message called Israel, a good country in a bad neighborhood. They've been operating this way from the time of the modern state of Israel, where one day they're celebrating because the United Nations recognize them, and then the next day five countries invade them. That's right. You know, uh, and going back to that whole concept of the of the uh, Dome of the Rock is that uh, one time, you know, I used to lead the groups to Israel for volunteerism. You were the macher. I was the macher for a group of young adults from 18 to 28. You could go over and and volunteer in, uh, in Israel at a hospital and partner with our— Origins. Yeah, it was Origins. called Origins. It's still running. So if you're 18 to 28 and you want to do volunteer work in Israel— um, we run those every summer, but, uh, one year I had a kid from, um, down South, like way down South Texas, right on the border. And so he had that dark, you know, um, skin. He had like a middle Eastern look to him. And so I, we go up on the temple Mount and we're walking around. I said, Hey guys, here's the deal. I'll let you walk around. You cannot go in there. Don't go into the dome of the rock. You're not allowed in there. Don't even try. So just, you know, you can get close to it or whatever, but you can't go in. So I said, let's meet back here in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. So they all scurry away. Okay. We, we all meet back. And I said, where's so-and-so? Oh, we don't know <laughs> where, where, what happened to, you know, I'm starting to get worried now. You know, we're it, like you said, it's a sensitive place up there. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like going into another country when you get up on the temple. hundred percent. So I'm getting a little worried. Um, and then all of a sudden he appears and I said, where were you? And he's laughing a little bit. I said, what is going on? And he said, I got into the dome of the <laughs> rock. I said, what? I, I told you not to go in there. And he said, I got it. They thought I was Muslim. They thought I was one of them. They just pushed me right on in. And so I did the loop and I came back out and I thought, hey, if you start World War III, I'm going to be so upset, you know. So anyway, we all I, after I got my emotions under control, you know, we all had a good uh, chuckle about it. But he got it. I didn't get in. He got in. Uh, so. he, yep. Uh, it's it's uh, I think that example is a, just a small version of of the big, bigger issues. And uh, once you understand that simple thing, you'll, you'll know the Middle East, and particularly for Israel, it's a very difficult road to navigate. Oh, 100%. Because the irony is that Israel is trying to be tolerant. That's the, you know... That's hey, the kicker. We we have tolerance. We have the exactly. museum of tolerance. Exactly. All right, Steve. Um, why don't we go to Daniel? Let's Chapter go five. to Daniel. And you know what I did, Chris? After last week, when I uh, messed up the neo Babylonian, well, yeah, I thought you did a fine job. You're nice. You didn't. I said it wrong, and you were just. Uh, nah, nah, let it go. I, I, <laughs> I went to Rennie Showers. Rennie Showers for years, uh, friends of Israel, our really resident uh, scholar, our our resident. Um, Torah scholar, New Testament scholar. 100%. Uh, and we always look to him for theology. And he wrote a book that I encourage those people who are following Daniel with us as we do these podcasts 
to purchase the book, The Most High God. It's a commentary on the book of Daniel. And he, 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 Rennie did just a great job. And what I did is I went to chapter five, because quite honestly, when I was in Bible school and they were covering Daniel, all the different names were driving me crazy. And I knew you were having some some interesting times trying to deal with what was happening. So I, I just went to uh, uh, Rennie, and here's what he said. Um, You're talking about the kings of Babylon right now. Exactly. Because we start off with Nebuchadnezzar. That's how the book begins of Daniel. That's right. So it says, for centuries, there was a mystery for available Babylonian records mentioned no king named Belshazzar. As a result, critics said that this proved that the book of Daniel was historically inaccurate. However, during the 1920s, the deciphering of more recently discovered Babylonian documents solved the mystery. These documents indicated that Belshazzar was the son of King Nabonidus, who was who you talked about last week. Mm-hmm. So Nabonidus is the king. Why is there's no record of Belshazzar? So some Babylonian documents solved this problem. They indicated that fo- the following. In 555 BC, Nabonidus marched an army westward to conquer rebels who had revolted against Babylonian rule since the death of Nebuchadnezzar. Before he left, Nabonidus entrusted kingship to his oldest son, Belshazzar. There you go. So, Chris, we have Nabonidus, who is king, and he's going away, but it doesn't make him not a king, but he can't. They didn't have computers and Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. So he Cell said, phones. look, for all the stuff going on here, somebody's got to rule. So I'm over here. I'm giving you that authority. So they co-ruled, if you will. That's right. Okay. So this situation existed, and Daniel was accurate in calling Belshazzar king. That's right. So we now know that. So Belshazzar grew up. His his grandfather was Nebuchadnezzar. And so, Chris, once you know that, he was alive, uh, and I'd say have memory of his grandfather. Mm-hmm. And so he must have known about the things that were going on. Uh, certainly, the history records would have been available to him as well. But as we'll see in the context of chapter 5, it didn't do him any good. No, not at all. Well, and I'll also say this to add a little more umph to what you're talking about is that the scriptures actually uh, show the historical records to be true, too, because when Belshazzar goes to give uh, the reward for interpreting the the hand and the interpreting the, what was written on the wall— he says, I'll make this person who can interpret these things, I'll give him purple, which was very a kingly you know, uh, garb. It was very expensive. A gold chain placed around their neck. And you will be made the third highest ruler. He couldn't make him the second highest because he was the second highest. His exactly. father was still king. So even the text is showing the um, authenticity of Nabonidus out co-ruling as his son Belshazzar in Babylon. And that's why he says, I'll make you the third. Because when Joseph, uh, the Pharaoh, if you go back to Genesis, was going to make Joseph the second highest. He had the authority to make him the second highest. Here's a moment where he says, I'll make you the third highest, which just goes to show his ability to not move him all the way up the ladder, just right there, right under me. 100%. And the other aspect is that, Chris, 
the environment here in chapter five is there's a party. A party is going on. <laughs> and at this party are a lot of dignitaries, so many dignitaries. And yet the context is that while this party is going on, and, and in fact, there's a prophecy uh, that is that Daniel is able to decipher, uh, Cyrus is doing his thing. Yeah, that's the Persian king, Cyrus. Exactly. So the Persians are on the outside of the wall. Exactly. Of Babylon. And so, Chris, tell us, how confident was Belshazzar uh, with all his friends? They're bringing out what his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar got, all the, the gold cups they were drinking from. They took them all out uh, from Jerusalem, the temple uh, treasuries, and disrespect to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, that's what the whole thing, again, it's it's following the pattern of Daniel. It's the pattern that there are, you can still maintain a holy life in a unholy world. And so what you see in the life of Daniel, um, in, and in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the um, co- uh, compatriots of, Chapter of Daniel. Chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Um, but then now you're also seeing it in the actual elements uh um uh of the temple itself that these these elements of the temple were carried from the temple into Babylon which means they left the holy place and were carried into an unholy place Babylon and now they're being used in an unholy way and so you can still see that that the picture is that these things are holy and now God is about to judge it almost is a the climax for the Babylonian Empire, the fall of the Babylonian Empire, hinges on the fact that they abused the holy things of God. And so it almost makes it a centerpiece. Daniel almost makes that a centerpiece of the fall of Babylon. How did Babylon fall? Well, it fell because they were misusing the very holy things of God that come from the temple in Jerusalem. That's a pretty interesting concept. And they were taking their eye off the ball. The ball was the Assyrians. They knew they were coming. They had already lost a number of battles, but they had, at least they thought they had, uh, a sure thing. And the sure thing was the walls that surrounded them, which would protect them from the Assyrians, except... It didn't. It didn't. You know, it actually, to make it more modern, I was listening to some commentators on politics and whatnot, and I don't want to get too political, but it's interesting how— Why? You know, you should tell people when you uh, went to a a Halloween uh, party— Yeah, you should get political. You were telling me that uh, you were uh, you had a neighborhood. Uh, we had a neighborhood Halloween party. Yep, yep. It and was so a, you put on a nice jacket. I put on a nice jacket. Uh, nice slacks, socks or no socks? No socks. Of no course. socks. Loafers, and they all said, "Chris, what? Do you, look, there we're all dressed up." I, now, bear in mind, I, we also live in New Jersey, FYI. Yeah, so, the, yeah. So, who, what? Who are you dressed up as? Tell us who you are. I said, "I'm a Republican." <laughs> <laughs> and they all laughed like you did. It's all, and I said, "What are you laughing at?" That, I'm a Republican. That, that, pure genius. Uh, you were the Alex P. Keaton for those of us uh, old enough 100%. to know that show. A hundred percent. I just love that. So 
the reason I brought that up is you said, I don't want to get political. Look, you went as a Republican. I love I, I love politics, but we have to always be careful. We how do we, have we to be ca- lightly here. Yes, in, we do. It's this. only for Halloween. You dressed up as a Republican. That's Let ex- it be known. That's right. That's right. And maybe the other 364 days of the year as well. But all that to say, when it comes to um, uh, like this idea of the that Belshazzar had ignored because he thought he was safe. Um, He thought the walls were strong enough. He thought he had enough prosperity and power and influence and money. And um, that he took his eyes off the goal. Like you said, the target, the, 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 the actual thing going on outside the walls. And then what happened is Cyrus snuck in and destroyed Babylon. And the, the reason I say that is recently president Biden went on, um, on uh, some news network and they were challenging him about some things. And he said, don't you know that America is the richest, strongest country in the entire world? Not even, uh, you know, modern in history. We are the richest country in our aye, history, aye, the strongest aye. country in history. All And he's going on. And it, it makes me sit there and think what there is a sense of um, pride uh, that you have to be careful. It's this, I think it's the same pride that Belshazzar had. That you're so busy, you know, thinking about how powerful you are, you don't realize that all you have to do is see history. History shows that those there are many powerful empires that have existed over time, and they have fallen, and they usually fall to smaller empires that gobble them up and then get bigger. And that's happened in biblical history all the way to today. The chief responsibility of any governing power whether it's a monarchy or it's democracy, is the safety of its citizens. That's the chief end. Mm-hmm. And taking your eye off the ball, we can make we can make That's the argument. It, taking in, the eye off the ball in, in Israel, there was great division, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Uh, the it it was chaotic. It was chaotic in the Knesset. Uh, you had the far right religious parties against the secular ones, and they were arguing, and then came the Supreme Court issues. We talked a little bit about that and why all that was going on. There was plotting going on in Gaza. That's right. Uh, And you can make the argument uh, that Israel, just like in 73, had its eye off the ball, just like you're uh, saying about President Biden. We're so consumed with... In, inside thinking that we forget what the chief end of the government is, and that's to protect their citizens. And uh, here in Bab- in Babylon, uh, it Belshazzar, he, I love it when when all of a sudden this hand comes up, Chris. What happens? No, he's shaking in his. It says he's shaking. His knees his are knocking. Hips are almost out of joint. That's a phrase. <laughs> that's that right. is a phrase. Well, let me read here. It says uh, in verse seventeen. So we get to this place where you know the Belshazzar has got to know what this interpretation is from this writing on the wall. We don't in this in the. In the plot of chapter five, we don't know what was written yet. So you're still, if you're just reading along, you're still kind of left in the dark as to what's on the wall. You just know something was written on the wall. And so it says in verse 17, then Daniel answered the king. So now Daniel comes um, and Daniel's older at this point. He's a lot more wise. I bet you yep. he's even more wise than he was when Nebuchadnezzar found him. This is just. Uh, he's a, probably rolling his eyes. Yeah. Oh, oh another brother. dream. I thought we were done with these things. <laughs> 
Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself. He doesn't even want the power, the influence. Yeah. You may keep the gifts for yourself and give your rewards to somewhere else, never uh, someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing the king of the king for the king and tell him what it means. Your Majesty, the Most High God, which is the name of Rennie Shower's commentary on um on Daniel. Daniel. And I think that's a really important El Elyon in Hebrew, the Most High God. What it's really showing is that in a polytheistic world where everybody believes in multiple gods, um, doesn't mean that uh, they abandoned believing in those multiple gods, but Daniel's saying, our God is the highest of all He's the, the macher of he, all. 100%. In the pantheon, God is above them all. And yet Daniel also knows there is only one God. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and set over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets of his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, of iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that uh, wrote the inscription, and the inscription that was written was, here is what the words mean. And before we get there, Steve, I love this. You know... I don't, I'm trying to remember, go back in the Daniel stories of chapter um, one, two, you know, up to here to five. I don't ever remember Daniel launching into a a sermon um, for Nebuchadnezzar. I remember him kind of saying, this is what the dream means, or I'd have to go back. I don't know for certain, but Daniel comes in strong on this one, right on the essence of pride. And you know why? It's verse 22. You knew all this. That's right. He knew it all. That's what we were saying. He, his grandfather, which they call it in in uh, that culture, they would say the son of, which is legitimate. He's in the line of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He knew about the stuff that Daniel was taught. Daniel was reminding him, probably when he was much younger, about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and totally disregarded. You knew all this. Mm-hmm. And Chris, that's the key, because right now we have some people who are listening and we want them to know the truth. And many of them do. That's why they're tuning in to the Jew and the Gentile podcast. But sometimes we get new listeners. And Chris, with all the joking and the we have fun doing these podcasts, 
The center of our podcast are the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Let's remind uh, our listeners, we've gone through studies on the temple. We went through the book of Leviticus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 30-some podcasts. What were we We, thinking? We we went through the book of Revelation. We we have gone and uh, talked about the Shema in Deuteronomy and the Torah. Why? Because that's the crux of... Of everything. Mm -hmm. When God created the heaven and the earth, he created man, and man was innocent, and then Cyrus came. Mm -hmm. Because because what is happening to what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, what happened to Belshazzar, is what we are too. Mm -hmm. We are too. We are we are in our natural state prone to non-humility, arrogance. We're prone to not leaning on the superior person. We could do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're prone to doubt that we're in good hands with El Elyon. Instead, we say, I could do it. Chris, that's the reason we do this is to continually remind ourselves, you and me, and let it out for those who listen that there is only one guy, God. He is the big macher. He's above all things, the creator of heaven and hell, from everlasting to uh, creator of heaven and earth, mm-hmm. and from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. You know, it's funny because I'm trying to find it, and I'll, I'll have to come back to it. Um, uh, that um, Oh, here it is. Uh, you know, it's talking in Romans 1. It actually talks about the fact that God's creation forgot to say thank you. They neglected God, and in neglecting God, they forgot to praise God and to say thank you to God for all of the blessings that come from him. You can read about that in Romans chapter 1. It's all about how did all of this happen? Where did where did this all come from? Well, it comes from the very fact that mankind forgot God, embraced their own human ways, and God exchanged the they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's what it says. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is praised forever. They forgot to say thank you. And I think it's interesting because you get a little hint of that here in Daniel when it says later on, "You praise the gods of." So they're holding the elements of the one true God from His temple. And he says, you praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not, this is almost exactly out of Romans chapter one, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. That to me, it punches me in my gut, you know, to think that there are mom- there can be moments in my life where I forget to say thank you to God. Here's a, this is a pagan king. I mean, I have a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ, but there are even times where I think I could, I have to say thank you to God because he's blessed me with so much. And sometimes you can forget in those moments that is God who holds my hands, your hands, everybody's hands in his in, in, uh, life in his hands and um, and all of our ways. And so, again, there's a, you know, as God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, God's about to humble uh, Belshazzar and Big all time. of the Babylonians. So here's where it picks up on what these words mean. It says this, Mene is the first word that was written on the wall. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, not tickle, tekel. <laughs> 
<laughs> Although you're laughing scared. anyway. <laughs> the moment I hear it, I think of tickle. Now you're going to get tickled to death. Oh, man. I never thought of tickle from tackle. <laughs> it's the Yiddish for tickle. No, I'm joking. Uh, I don't go. know. You have been weighed, tackle. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed on his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. I wonder how fast Daniel took off all those... (laughs) <laughs> hey, he's given the message. This is over. This stuff, I don't want this. I stuff. don't want any of this. That's right. Uh, all right. It's like he won a competition or something, you know? Believe me, in light of the message, Belchazar, uh, I thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. He, like, what were you saying earlier before we got started? We were kind of talking about this, and you said, Daniel's sitting there going, I don't want any of this. It's all about to disappear. I just told you what Tekel and Perez and Mene means. It's exactly. done. Exactly. In fact, Daniel was probably thinking, I wonder what I'm going to be telling the uh, this uh, Cyrus and his Assyrians when they come in. <laughs> hey, I don't know this guy. <laughs> Take that purple robe off. I got I got nothing to do with it. I'm not into politics. I, that's right. I got a Jerusalem passport here, buddy. I don't know these people. They're crazy. But isn't it interesting how I think it is interesting how God used Daniel, uh, who has never kept his eye off the ball, in this case being uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, following him, yet all the time respecting those who were in authority over him, but but maneuvering, being able to maneuver in a culture that is so counterintuitive to uh, Daniel's culture and to the living God that he served. So he's actually going to survive all those years mm-hmm. in Babylon, and then as an older man, uh, and he is older at this time, God allows him to transition from being under uh, Bab- Babylon to now being under Cyrus, and some good things are going to happen as a result. I think we got to give Daniel some credit here because Cyrus was an interesting person with all the authority he had and all the conquering he did. Is uh, He's going to give the Jewish people an opportunity to go back. You know... I'd like to talk about this for one second, because there was a very interesting Twitter post or X post that I saw um, of a graduate of Master's University. He said, uh, just to let you know, I'm a graduate of Master's University. Okay, so this has he's not a teacher there or anything. This is just somebody posting. He said, modern Israel is not the fulfillment of biblical eschatology Israel. I understand. Now, explain to people that Master's seminary is a seminary whose doctrine believes a future for Israel. hundred percent. Now he's not denying a future for Israel. He's just saying whatever you're going to support in Israel right now is not biblical Israel. Now here's, this is the reason I bring this up is because you mentioned Cyrus and what I wanted to X back or post back or whatever you do on Twitter these days or X. um, I wanted to write back and say, I wonder how you would look at Israel when they return to the land under Cyrus, because clearly God wanted them to go back to the land. So Cyrus comes, and you'll read in the beginning of uh, Ezra, um, the fact that— 42,000-plus went back. They went back. They wanted to go back, and Cyrus, the who was the 
the the ruler of the world essentially at that point is the one who gives them permission to do that. So they return home, and it's nothing like the kingdom was before the exile. It's pitiful. They have to rebuild. Um, they now they're surrounded by Samaritans, and they're surrounded by other nations. And, and in fact, they don't even have their own control. It's not like it's the king of Israel. It's the governor of Israel, which means Zerubbabel has to look back to the king for approval of things. He can't even make his own decisions. And yet God is the one who's still pushing them to go back to rebuild. You know, do you think people at that time were looking and going, oh, this is the, the don't look at what got, what's going on here. Ignore it. This isn't as, uh, uh, prophetic Israel from what the prophets had talked about before. Ignore it. But yet, if they had not returned to the land, there would never be a land for Jesus to be born in. So this is where I, you know, it's to me, sometimes I think Christians can Israel get kicked out of the land again? A hundred percent. I don't, I don't deny, uh, um, deny that. Do I think they will be? No, but is God preparing something for an amazing moment? If there was no return that happened under Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, Ezra in the pitiful moments of the fighting, there was fighting between, uh, empires and 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 Judea and the Samaritans. It was a lot of chaos. It was a lot of surus. And yet, eventually, as time goes on several hundred years later, what happens? Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The Messiah is born in Bethlehem. Are we just going to sit there and ignore the fact that God resurrected the people, Ezekiel 37, brought them back to the land, maybe for a reason that looks a little bit like the people coming back to the land during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah? I don't know, Steve. Well, that's, well, what, that's what I wanted to text, but you only get so many characters. Yeah. <laughs> All I could say is that when you look at the history of the modern state of Israel, there's a lot of firsts, a lot of firsts. Um, they are the only nation to be established when they were kicked out and then brought back and able to speak that language. When you think of 650,000 against 40 plus million surrounding them, wanting them into the Mediterranean. When you think about how they've survived all these different, and including right now, by the way, uh, they've survived all these years. How is that possible? If if the, this gentleman from Masters is going to tell me, well, they're like any other nation. Look at America. They've had, they have an interesting history as well. No question. 100%. But there isn't anyone that's history and things that took place that trump what happened to Israel. And I believe, that, and especially when you look at a passage like Ezekiel 38 and 39, when there's going to be an attack, there has to be an Israel. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're in unbelief. Uh, there has to be. Well, an- even in Ezekiel 37, there is an amazing divide in the resurrection process that takes place where Ezekiel, they, first God says to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? He goes, well, God, from my perspective, no, but only you know. That's one of the greatest lines. I, it's comedic. I, 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 it's it comedic. So, I use that. <laughs> that is the greatest line. It's hey, a, man, you know. That's right. I'm not touching that. I am not going to get political now. <laughs> that's right. I am not political. I can only tell you from my point of view, not so much, that's, but you're the mocker. That's right. If you ordain it, so it is. Any science class I go to will say no, but... 
Only you know, that God. That was a wise... I'm serious. He understood who he was talking 100%. to. 100%. And so, which also showed maybe a little bit of uh, doubt as well to go, only you know, <laughs> okay? Because I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So there's Ezekiel saying that. And then what happens? The dry bones start to come back. They begin to form a skeleton. And then the muscles form. And then the skin forms. But then there's a break. It actually ends. And then No God, breath. There's, because there's no... Breath There's no life in them. And that's, that's right. God pauses there for a moment and says, now what, Ezekiel? And that's when Ezekiel goes, oh, only you know, buddy. I'm looking to you. Ezekiel I, would have been a great Tevye. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We've got him. In fact, you sound a little like Tevye yourself. Honored. I'm honored. But what happens is that eventually God breathes life. But first, that body is resurrected. It's just missing the component that gives it the the spiritual life that it needs um, that is kind of reminiscent of going back to the Garden of Eden um, when God breathed into Adam and he lived. And so, again, there to me, there are indications that what we're seeing today is a result of biblical God moving in the world to bring no Israel back. So to just say what you're seeing is nothing, I, I just, I, and I think that's in a lot of churches, even churches that believe in a future for Israel, they go, ah, oh, what you see now? Nah, not, not, let's not really focus on, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on the future where I think God is saying it's a part of the entire story. Don't take your eye off the ball. A hundred percent. You got to keep your eye on the ball. And God is working even now with a Israel that is in an unbelief that we're in the church age waiting for God to accomplish his purpose. Keep your eye upwards and keep your eye this way. That's right. Because if without Daniel chapter five, Steve, and this moment where Belshazzar is humbled and Babylon falls, Cyrus would have never come in, taken over and become the king of the of the huge kingdom that would have incorporated all the Jewish people to give them the right to return to the land. So are we just going to ignore that? That's why a lot of people like to call people like Harry Truman the Cyrus uh, of uh, of the modern age. Because hey, he thought he was Cyrus. Yeah, he thought he was Cyrus the Great. I'm yep. returning the Jewish people to the land. That, yep. that was Harry Truman, our president. So again, there. Um, I, I didn't want to ignore that, but this is a hinge passage because this is a moment when all of a sudden the 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 um, the exile is winding into a different direction. There will be a new king on the throne, Cyrus, who will return the Jewish people to the land. The gold head is done. Is done. Yep. Exactly. All right. Well, we've got more to do. We're only halfway. Th- no, we're not even halfway through, Stephen. Chris, we I- got some news items that, uh, I, Chris, during this this time of war and seeing what's happened, we've already discussed. You know, we talked about Did You Know and the Museum of Tolerance. Well, let's look at this headline <laughs> from the Jerusalem Post. Tamami, and th- this is not a flu uh, cure, Tamami. <laughs> Tamami. Tamami. Tamimi. 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 There is a, a there is a medicine that cures your uh uh Tamiflu. Tamiflu. No, no this, this isn't, isn't Tamiflu. No, this is this, this is Tamimi. Tamimi. No, Tamimi. Tamimi. Or maybe even Tamimi. T A M I M I. Tamami. Tamami. Oh, we're going to just she's going to call us and tell wait, us what her wait, real name let's, is. Let's let's take Tam T A M, right? Yes. I M I. Ami. Okay, Tamami. Tamami. I like it. Okay. We will we will drink your blood. What Hitler did to you was a joke. That's the headline in the Jerusalem 
post. Chris. And this girl looks like somebody you'd run into on your college campus or wherever you might go in your classes or something. Uh, she looks like a, a, dec- a somewhat of a young woman. It says in the Jerusalem Post, Palestinian political activist and terrorist supporter Ahed Ta- Tamim, Tamimi. Tamimi. Tamimi called for um, the murder of settlers in the West Bank in an Instagram post on Monday, according to Israeli media. She said, quote, we are waiting for you all in all the West Bank cities from Hebron to Janine. We will slaughter you and you will say and you will say that what Hitler did to you was a joke. She wrote on social media, we will drink your blood and eat your skull. Come on. We are waiting for you. Chris, this is an example of what Israel's facing. This is this is a woman who lives in the West Bank where they're supposed to be getting along getting along. And when you look at her, you're not going to think to yourself that uh she's, she looks like a nice girl. Yeah, she looks like a nice Except girl for who those, wants to eat your head. <laughs> those eyes do look uh shady to me. Well, you know what I was thinking is I don't know if this woman is married or not, but if there is some dating site out there and she's on there, I'm envisioning, you know, Ahed Tamimi, you know, and an inner description, it says something like, I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> I, <laughs> I enjoy, eat hummus. I eat some good hummus. <laughs> I like hummus and uh, and some pita. And uh, uh, I will drink your blood. You know, no Jews welcome. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. If if inter- just so you know, we're waiting for you. We're waiting for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chris, I, look, I don't want to make light of this. This is what there's thousands of people. Who would agree with her? That's what's scary. Yes. There's thousands and thousands of people who are who hate the Jewish people, who want them dead, who don't want to negotiate with them. That this is what Israel faces all the time. And this is at a time, Chris, I think we need to have her as the poster child in order for Israel to keep going until they get the job done. Well, and notice where she lives as well. She doesn't live in Gaza. She lives in the West, West Bank. Bank. So, Judea Samaria. People do, and I'm glad that you I always try to clarify that too. Um people often think this problem is just in Gaza. Hamas is not in Gaza alone. Hamas is this also is in the, the West PA. Bank. They're the moderates. Yeah. The Palestinian Authority is the moderates. And this is what they want. And the reason I say post this up, because quite frankly, uh, today, as we're doing this podcast, we got word first thing this morning that uh, there have now been 12 soldiers, IDF soldiers killed because they're they're fighting by the tunnels and, and all that. But Israel bombed a major area, a Hamas stronghold. And depending on whose numbers you uh, believe, a number of what we would say would be innocent civilians were killed. Why? Because they put them there to protect them because they thought Israel wouldn't uh, attack. 100%. But Israel has been saying for days and days, go south. We're, who? What army tells people, we're co- here's the, you go south, we're coming up north. Yep. Who does that? Well, I even saw on, um, I even saw on, uh, on X. Uh, Twitter, whatever, Pierce Morgan uh, criticized the Israeli government when they said, we're telling all of the Israelis, or I mean, all of the Palestinians to go south. It was a big conference. And then he wrote in response, uh, oh, yeah, nice that you're telling them uh, when they're commu- when you cut their communication off. And, but again, I mean, that is so, it's so 
He, they told they, them way, way before that. They've been talking about it for a long time. Yeah, I it's, just, that's it's the not kind true. of nonsense that frustrates me about the media. Um, and so anyway. All right. So that's that was one news item, Chris. The other one is not good for the world. No. And this comes from the Jerusalem Post as well. Global anti-Semitism soars by... <laughs> I can't even cut 1,180% amid war with Hamas. Mm -hmm. So the, and what's interesting in the article, Chris, is a breakdown. The breakdown reads like this. Zionists and Jews with almost all of it uh, being in Arabic. So this anti-Semitism rhetoric is 71% Arabic. Look, is that a racial statement? Yes, it's written in a language, Arabic. Yep. You decide what that means. I don't speak Arabic. Not a lot of people in the United States speak Arabic. Yalla. Uh, <laughs> there's your one word. Yalla. But, sad to say, 28% of the anti-Semitic rhetoric is in English. Mm-hmm. And I do speak English. Mm-hmm. That means 30% of the rhetoric Against and we're not even talking about actions. This is hate language is English. And that is a scary, scary number. And uh one third in the US anti-Semitic events uh come from cities like New York. Oh yeah. Los Angeles, Chicago. These are the cities where it's where it's raging. Um 87 percent all of them college campuses. Eighty-seven percent of Jewish people felt less secure in Jewish communities. 87%. We have friends. We have friends who have told us they live in the area, in Cherry Hill, which is a very predominantly Jewish area in South Jersey, and they're Israeli, and they feel frightened to hang an Israeli flag out in support of their own country. Their daughter is going to, you know, back to fight in the IDF, and yet she feels uh, nervous you and I have friends who are Israelis. They're a little younger than me, older than you. They've been in New, they've been in New Jersey area for years. Um, and they came to America because of all the strife in Israel. He served in the ID. They did, they did their stuff, and they're here in the United States. He called me, and he said, Steve, I bought a gun. Mm. He said, I never would have thought that I would buy a gun a gun. He said, what's happening in America to me it is beyond my comprehension. So he's, he's living in America. He's an American. He's Israeli, but he's living, he's living here. And he, what he is witnessing in the United States is frightening him. And he believes he needs personal protection. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with him, but I find it. He, I, if you would ask me five years ago, if you would ask him five years ago, he said, I, I, I don't, I don't need a gun. You know, this reminds me of, do you remember a while ago on that show, The View, um, that I know that you like to watch in the mornings <laughs> <laughs> with Whoopi Goldberg and some of your other favorite uh, yeah, commentators? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Remember a while ago, she said something along the lines of that the Holocaust was not about, um, I believe she said something like, and don't quote me on it, but like about racism, because for her, racism only functions within the white and black skin colors. But I don't know. Maybe she'll take her words back even more now, seeing that uh, there are all different types of skin colors that are 
being anti-Semitic right now. That means they're specifically targeting the race of the Jewish people, and and they're doing this in Arabic language. I'm sure in other languages, in English, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It does. Some of these people are secular people. Some of these people are really religious people. Maybe in the Muslim faith. I I, I pray that not much in the in the in our in our Christian world, but um, it, they come from all walks of life. And they're targeting the Jewish people. It's called racism. And so it's just 100%. interesting. Uh, so maybe you can call your friends and find yeah. out. Chris, it says the type of incidents recorded were deeply concerning with 330% increase in violent anti-Semitic events, 128% rise in desecration of Jewish sites, and 660% increase in harassment and a 300% increase in threats. I, I can't even come... The percentages are. I didn't know you could go above hundred yeah, percent. We always right. say hundred percent. Yep. Well, no, no this not, is a thousand percent. Yeah, now we're going to start saying a thousand percent. So Did, this is these are the days we live in. You know, I do want to ask you this though, Steve. You are Jewish. You yes. know, I'm sitting over here. I'm a. I've got a Jewish kepi, but I'm not Jewish, so I don't have that feeling. I, I'm interested. You know, you hear that a thousand percent when they're writing. In Arabic, when they're writing in English or other languages, they're talking about you. Yes, they are. So, what are your thoughts? Like, does it wash over you at all yet, or is it uh, still feel distant? What What is that feeling that you have? I've all the years I've been a Christian, I've never forgotten that I'm also Jewish, mm-hmm. and every Jewish person, secular, atheist, uh, believer, they know they're Jewish. We are always the other. That's not, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm not upset about it. It's the way it is. And uh, during the Holocaust, Chris, there were Jewish believers. And they, they could they could have gone up to the SS and said, wait a minute, I believe in Jesus. And many said that, who either did or didn't. They just, hey, I believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about anti-Semitism, the existence in any way, shape, or form of the Jewish people is an anathema to these haters. And that's just the way it is. And I always said, uh, and I've said it for years, even as I've preached, uh, during days that were much more comfortable than now, in a church, if things got bad like they did in Germany, I, I would ask people, what would you do if you're sitting next to a Jewish person, what would you do? Because what every Jewish person asks themselves, would they turn me in if times got rough? Mm-hmm. That's always the question. Now, I'm a believer in Jesus. Uh, we're to be anxious for nothing. We have to be wise. Uh, and so, no, I never forget what I am, who I am. Uh, and I do not think for a moment that just because I'm with friends of Israel, and ju- and by the way, if you're with friends of Israel, now you're a target. Now you're a target. Mm-hmm. You're a target too. So we just got a brand new sign out there. It's huge. At, it says at, "Friends of Israel." At, you know? And we are friends of Israel, and we have to live like Daniel lived in his culture. Mm. Daniel never compromised. He, what did he do, Chris, when it was time to pray? And we haven't gotten there yet in chapter six. But when it was time to pray, and they were looking for all, anybody who would. Not who anybody who was worshiping somebody other than uh, th- than Cyrus at that time. Mm-hmm. So right in the lines, then. Uh, actually, chapter six is Nebuchadnezzar. Kind of goes back. Mm-hmm. So 
What did he do? He opened up his window. He prayed by the window. You want me? You know where to find me. Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it. And I don't want to be that uh, brazen. Uh, I'm a believer. I'm Jewish. That's it. But yes, we're targets. We're, mm -hmm. And you're a target. Yeah. Anybody with friends of Israel is a target. Yep. And we... That's just the way it is. Uh, you know, I think of the Corey Tem Boom family. And when the uh, soldiers told the father, you got to, you can't hide Jewish people. We're going, we're, you can't, you got to stop. If you stop it, that's good. And he said, I'm not going to stop it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. So they put him, what did they do? They put him into prison. Mm -hmm. And he, and um, uh, she lost her, he lost his daughter and Corey Tem Boom lost her sister. Uh, in the Holocaust, mm -hmm. that's that's us, Chris. Mm -hmm. That's us today, and maybe even the people who are listening right now, you got to say whose side are you on? Yeah, good or evil, on God's side or on Satan's side. We got one more quick oh, news here this because is this is going to lead into our uh, Yiddish yeah. word of the day. Okay, this this one, I'm not sure where it comes from because it's not on the, uh, but uh, it comes from the uh, Jewish Telegraph. Uh, thank you. Israel's war has spurred thousands of Haredi Israelis to volunteer, cook, and serve in the army. Yep, there Chris, you go. Hold on a second. I'll just go right into our Yiddish word of the day. Oh, yeah, and I got to find my Yiddish word of there, the day. So Israel's war has spurred thousands of Haredi, uh, Haredi Israelis to volunteer, cook, and serve in the army. Now, Steve, this is a big deal. Because most of the time, they go, they have an option. If you're ultra-Orthodox in Israel, you have an option to serve in the army or not. This has created a massive division. Huge division. Israel. Israelis who serve in the IDF, it's a badge of honor. And they have these from, 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 F-R-U-M. These religious maniacs. That's what many <laughs> That's Israelis what say. say. I'm, I'm quoting them. Yes. These religious, the from. They won't do anything. They won't serve their country. Uh, we're the ones that protect them so that they can daven the Torah. And we're out there risking our life. Well, what's happening now during these horrible days? There's a whole, there, there's pictures. It's Here they are. They're running into battle. <laughs> they are united. They are echad in Hebrew. Yep, one. One. Here we say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And so, uh, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That, Chris, we'll have to do that sometime on our podcast. Mm -hmm. But the Declaration of Faith for the Jewish people actually talks about the oneness of God. And here we have the from. The from. Uniting with the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. There is a unity. They are one people. They have all kinds of differences and they disagree, but they are one. They are the from have come back. <laughs> from is the Yiddish word of the day. And we threw a little Hebrew in there, that, sprinkled a little Hebrew right. with echad, which is uh, one or oneness. So, hey, Steve, that was a great word. I really appreciate it. And hey, just a fresh reminder. Number one, thanks for listening to the Jew and Gentile podcast. Get your mugs on a mug by going to gofoi.org forward slash mug. Also, go to foiequip.org and register for my upcoming class Thanksgiving from Leviticus. Hey, Steve, we're going to be you're back in Leviticus again. We love Leviticus. We've got a lot to do in Leviticus. So anyway, uh, join us. You can register for my class uh, coming up November 16th at foiequip.org. Dot .org. And it's free, 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 free. People, it's free. We practically give everything away here. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you next week.